What is happening, everyone? We're extremely excited to share this episode with you. Cooper and I sat down with Brendan Lawler, who has made a huge impact in the world of golf over the last few years for what he has done on and off the golf course. Brendan is the number two ranked disability golfer in the world. And in this discussion, we cover what it was like for him growing up with his disability, to how he has become a professional golfer, being managed by Niall Horan's Modest Golf, his commentary on Sky Sports, and much more. As you hear from this discussion, he's an incredibly down-to-earth and humble guy. Hope you enjoy. Now, you are all very welcome along to another episode of Unplayable, uh, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by two loud men. Firstly, we've got Cooper from Term Effect, and Cooper, hello to you. Hi, boys. Secondly, <laughs> from Dundalk, I'm delighted to say we are joined by the number two ranked disability golfer in the world, a man who has won five times, I believe, although correct me if I'm wrong, on the European Disabled Golf Association Tour. <laughs> Uh, a man who became the first disability golfer to compete on the European Challenge Tour and a man who has done so much for golfers with a disability, not just in Ireland, but globally. Brendan Lawler, you are so welcome to the Unplayable podcast. Thanks very much for having me, boys. Looking forward to this one. Good stuff. Um, look, I, I think the way I would love to have this conversation, friendly, Brendan, is, is firstly to just understand a little bit about your life growing up as a young lad um, in, in Dundalk, all the way through to the many great things that you've achieved so far. Um, so maybe just as a starting point, could you just give us a, a little bit of a flavour of, of your life growing up? Yeah, so basically I'm from a little village called Loud Village. It's about 15 minutes outside Dundalk and um, very, very supportive village. They've supported me in everything I've done. And going back to the early days, I was born with a condition called Ellis van Crevel syndrome, which is a shorter limbs and shorter stature. And to be honest, it never affected me throughout my whole life. I was I was big into Gaelic football. I was big into soccer. I loved all sports. And then I got into pitch and putt when I was like five or six and found my niche in that. I climbed to a pretty high level when I was 12 and 13 and that. And I always thought sport was a great equaliser to make you feel that you're on the same level as guys if they're six foot tall and you're beating them by two, three shots. So I always was comfortable in my own skin. I think sport was a huge, huge leveller for that. Tell me a little bit about that because, you know, you say there you're, you're 12, 13 and you start playing pitch and put and golf and, and whatever else. <clears throat> like as someone with a disability to to kind of look around and be like hold on a minute i'm i'm beating these guys like that what did that feel like for you to be honest it just it felt normal it was like when i got onto a pitch and putt course it felt i always had like an, an urge of confidence that i wasn't really going to be beaten on the course because I, I won all irelands i won leinsters and pitch and putt and obviously, I grew like a friend-based through sport. So that made secondary school a lot easier because a lot of people knew me already. And you're going into the big bad world of bullies where 
where six years could have been hell. And it is for a lot of people. And, and I wasn't going to let that happen. I wasn't in, I didn't like school. I was kind of pushed to go because mom and dad were like, right, you need to go because it's, it's the stepping stones in life, what you have to do. And I never, I never achieved great things in maths, English, history, whatever it was going to be. But I always knew I was quite good at sport, not to a level that I thought it was going to bring me here. I was just, I was into it so much that I thought I might find a job in sport or work for a producer or whatever it was. And I only started golf when I was 16. So I was quite a late bloomer into the game. So again, it, it was, I got the scratch when I was 19. So it took me three years to get the scratch, which was quite a quick progression. And I was getting on to the teams in RD. I was playing in like North of Ireland championships, just about making cuts, not competing. But it was never an avenue that I thought I'd go down. And the disability golf came in 2020, I think it was, when I played my first event in Portugal. Right, these guys are going to be handy. I'm going to beat them. And I had such a bad perception of, of just disability golfers and I came forth in that event which you say isn't a bad finish but I see the market where I could thrive I could make a difference I could make a living from the sport and a lot of guys there's a lot of good golfers out there but they don't know how to do that on off course stuff which mm-hmm. makes you the money in disability golf because I can't make money on the course yet because we have no prize money so I was like I can be an advocate for the 10-year-old Brendan that's looking to get into the game or Kip Papa and Sarah Palsy helping so many people, whether it has a disability or not, to get into the game. And it's not that I wanted to become an ambassador. It was sort of I fell into the role of being an ambassador, which was, mm-hmm. was an incredible thing. Yeah, before digging into, I guess, the the the, <clears throat> the ecosystem of the what's transpired since 2020 and kind of everything that you've essentially helped build um, and a great group of guys there that are kind of building that springboard for any young golfers out there with disabilities. But for you then, say, from what you say, about 13, 12, 13, you kind of took up pitch and butt or you got very good at it. And then there's that transition to scratch at 19. What uh, what kind of way did that look, Brendan? Were you playing Monarch against Seapoint or were you... Were you kind of playing in the, the Fred Daly's? Like, what were, were you able to compete with the lads at age 15, say, um, and then kind of took it on your own to obviously get to scratch and then make those cuts in the North of Ireland and stuff like that? Yeah, it was it was actually weird. So I, I started when I was 16, 16. got a handicap, a handicap of 28, and I my first event, I had 52 points and got cut down to <laughs> 20 straight away. <laughs> Are you allowed? Are you allowed to swear on this podcast? No, yeah, go for it. Go for I say, they're thinking, what's this bollocks coming in here, robbing our tournaments? But um, absolute gangster, gangster is right. But um, it was literally, <laughs> it was fun. It wasn't like I don't see golf as a chore now, at all. But you have to go out and do your work. You have to go out and practice. But when you were sixteen and seventy, it was fun. I had shots. I had, I I could come down. I had a goal to come down to single figures pretty fast. And every event you had, like, say, your 15 shots, right? If I can shoot 12 over today, I'll be off 14 next week. So I, I always had that progression of trying to get better, trying to get the handicap down. And I played as much as I could. I played three times a week in tournaments, trying to not necessarily win, but shoot under my handicap to bring it down. And 
I was very much handicap focused mm. at that time to try and make teams, try and do this and that. And I got the call for the Monarch. I didn't play under 15s, under 13s. I started when I was under 18. So I was off like five when I got that call. And we won a Monarch with RD, Betbal Trey, Seapoint, um, Dundalk, all, all them teams. And, and again, sorry, for the non for the non loud man on the call here, what, what is the Monarch? Oh, Monarch is like mm. a, a regional under 18 championship. Yeah. Right. So every club in Loud plays plays each other once in match play and top two at the end of the season play in in match play to win the event. So we done that every year. And that was fun. You're going to well Baltray Seapoint, one of the best courses I think in Ireland and they're only down the road from us. Yeah. So you're going to these great courses. You're going on a Saturday with the lads. You're getting your dinner after. You're getting the bus down, having the crack. <laughs> it was it was fun. Oh, it's brilliant! It's a brilliant tournament. Yeah, I remember yeah. playing when I was uh, I'd be twenty nine now, and I was uh, I'd play RD against Evan Farrell and Adam Doran, and then Green yeah. Orr against Keelan Rafferty. Like some great golfers come out of it. Hundred percent. Evan's yeah. having a having a great season as well. Yeah, he's well. Was, yeah, he was close there in Mullingar. He's playing some golf. Playing some golf. He's doing well in the North of Ireland this week as well. But mm. Evan, he he spent actually the the winter in Australia. He went to Melbourne, I think, for oh, for yeah. two months. And in that two months where you'd usually take off, he kept playing. So he had a step above everyone in Ireland when he was coming into the summer months, and it really stood to him. Oh, he's some man. He's a, yeah, he's, a, he's he's a character, isn't he? He's a good man to meet on the streets of Toronto during the fly. Anyway, he'd be going hundred miles an hour. A few pints, yeah, unreal. <laughs> I've I met him actually. I remember playing a few of those boys' events. <clears throat> his big red I think hair. He played with them in the Ulsters, con. Yeah, probably yeah, did. A long time ago, Jesus. And, and so, when you you played North of Ireland, I take it you were playing like senior cup. What was what was the kind of? I obviously then you turned professional, but just the end of your like amateur days. Was it all like you were competing in these senior amateur events in Ireland? Yeah, I competed in senior cup. Um, I played a lot of junior cup as well when I was the sort of higher handicap. And it was actually, it was like a mixed mixed bunch because you're, you're rocking to the tee. Everyone in senior cup is pretty much the same level where whether you're scratch plus two plus three. So anyone can win. And I always thought it was an advantage for me because I was the smaller guy thinking that they have a handy match. Right, I'm going to beat him on 14. Yeah. This is an easy win. So, if you have someone thinking that and they're two, three down after nine, they're panicking. They're they're panicking. panicking. Yeah. So, I have, a very, yeah. I have a good record of match play. I think I won, I only lost about two games out of 14 or 15 in match play. So, I used to play mind games. I give people eight footers on the first and everything, just <laughs> fucking with them. Like, <laughs> so it has to be done. But, um, and especially, I have a funny story about the north of Ireland. It was, I was fourth in the reserve list in, I don't know what year it was, but um, the final group, a guy from America, he was sick and didn't make his tea time. So my clubs were in the car, ran, and the boys were like, you have two minutes to your tea time. So I got, I threw one of my my friends the keys, just hand me a driver. So I went up, ran to the tee, hit my drive, and everyone's laughing, me run to the first tee, oh, what, what, what's he doing here? Put my drive down the middle. And one of the boys start rolling my bag down the fairway to meet me because I didn't, uh, I didn't have time to get ends and ready. I think I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus! I hit the first shot with me runners and 
that hoodie, whatever it was, and then it was getting dressed going up the fairway. It was very away you went. It was like Rory McIlroy and Medina <laughs> singles. Exactly. But yeah, um, they're they're the stories that make it. And um, I I probably I think I missed the cut that year, but it's it's the experience of playing with such good golfers that brings your game on too. Yeah, yeah. You were playing recently in. Uh, I was following you for a while in the in the Legends and Sea Point. Yeah, it was very cool. Uh, like obviously the um, there was a few of the local lads, Gary Murphy and all. Um, but when you have the likes of Michael Campbell, uh, Ian Woosnam, um, who else was there? There was some amazing fucking golfers there. There was a load of major champions. Yeah. But uh, what was it like playing playing involved in them? Who were you playing with that week? You weren't with the eventual winner, were you? No, I played with Jeeve Milka Singh. Which was a really oh, good group. Wow. Yeah. I played with um John Hen John Ramsey. He's oh, a man. French golfer, the thickest man I've ever met in my life. <laughs> it was hilarious. He hits this shot into 14, misses the green, and gives his bag the biggest boot I've ever seen. Kicks it over. Really? It was hilarious. You don't have any French listeners anyway, so you can say whatever no, you want. That's all yeah. good, but it was very, very <laughs> funny. I think it's great experience because they're probably the best putters I ever played with. Really? Jeeve thing was holding putts dead weight every time, just falling in, falling in. I think he came top five that week. Yeah. But their courses are like six, eight, six, nine. So they're playable for me. I played off the back sticks. And okay. um, yeah, it was a fun week. We've got to see a lot of the tours now. We've done PGA, we've done DP World Tour. And we're trying to understand where we fit as well, of where we can compete and, and make money through the game. So. It's important to try all these things out. Peter Baker, I, I specifically remember, <clears throat> um, like it wasn't playing easy. Like no. it was a good, good bit of wind there. There's a bit of rain there, maybe on the Friday, but Jesus, the the, the level of putting that's that's what was really astonishing. I remember he hit yeah. the, he drove it into the bunker right on eighteen, chipped out sideways, hit it to about twenty five feet, and held the putt. It's yeah. like unbelievable, it's a different game, like. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'm not that long off. Well, if you disability golf, I'm quite long, but I was as long as the guys on the senior tour, which was which was weird because I thought them by them boys would be still pumping it, but to just get around, to just make pars all day, birdie the par fives, shoot three, four under, it's mad. Really just just what, uh, how how long would you be hitting it off today? I'm about two sixty, two seventy. In um in C point with a bit of run, I could probably get out to two eighty, two ninety. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what would, your, what would your bag look like then? Um, would you have kind of woods, hybrids, a mix of kind of... It's, uh, quite, a, it's a, quite a normal setup. So I obviously I have stealth driver, stealth three wood, stealth five wood. I have six to four iron and seven seventies. And I've pitched wedges, okay. seven iron and MCs. So the blades. Yeah. And then MG4 wedges. So I'm thinking of swapping the five wood. I'm thinking of swapping the four iron and putting in the seven wood. Because I struggle to get that in the air. So that's probably mm. the next, next change. Yeah, it seems to be getting more normalised. I remember seven months were all over the place a long time ago. But they're, they're making a comeback now, all right. The what's, honest, uh, what's, yeah. your, what's your wedge set up then? I have 50, 50, 54, 58. Lovely. Yeah, so it's a nice gap. I think 60 is too much loft. I'd only use 58 out of greenside bunkers and stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't really. I'd kind of play 54 from everywhere. And that's going back to pitch and putt days where you either hit 80 yards or 35 yards. So just feeling you have, it like you've you've every shot in the bag with that. Yes. Savage. Going back to um you said 2020 Portugal was the was the first uh, event <coughs> that you played. Talk to us a little bit about how it's all gone from from then because around that time was the first time I kind of 
emerge into my consciousness about what was happening um, in the in the G4D uh, side of things. Give us give us a little bit of the flavor of, of that journey from that first event in Portugal to to kind of where you're at now. Yeah, so long story short, my auntie Anne found Disability Golf on on the web, and my mum, my auntie told my mum about it, and mum never categorized me as someone of having a disability, so she was quite not afraid but reluctant to tell me would I try it. And I was always open to new things. I, she said to me one day, she's like, would you ever try disability golf? I said, yeah, so I'll give it a go. So we booked the flights for for um, the event in, in Portugal. And I came forth there. And obviously I was saying that I seen where it could go and, and where it has been going. So I put myself in a different mind frame then of trying to climb the ranks. Because I knew that world number two, three and four, sorry, world number one, two, three and four were getting the best opportunities for disability golf so I went on to win my next three events I won in Troia, France I think in Sweden as well <coughs> and I climbed up to number two in the world after them three events because they were high points the best players are playing and then the opportunity started floating in I was the amateur stuff was kind of passing me it was not that I didn't want to do it but I was getting more endorsement opportunities I was getting a lot of guys looking to do clothing deals and Obviously, as an amateur back then, I couldn't accept these things. Mm. So you were up with, in in getting to second in the world on the disability rankings. You were still an amateur. Still an amateur, yeah. Oh, still an amateur, nice. and that was in the space of five months. Yeah, I right. climbed to number two in five months, and uh, in twenty twenty, I was approached by Modest Golf, and mm. uh, Nile Horns Company. So. They obviously seen I was making waves through through the sport, but it wasn't big at the time. It was like it was still fun. There was you were winning trophies, you weren't winning money. Like it was a big expense. I was traveling just to try and make a name for yourself. And Mark, obviously, we met in Belfast. I done an interview with Peter Finnan. Peter Finnan made a call to Mark to see would he be interested in doing something on the disability side. So I had a <coughs> had a conversation with Mark. I told him my ideas of where I want the sport to get to. And he told me what he can do to help get to that spot. So I came back from that meeting buzzing. Yeah, I'm signing this now. It's the only opportunity I have. It's the only one on the table. And I sat down with my dad. He's a businessman. So he he knows all about that sort of stuff. He said, Brendan, it's great that these guys are interested, but you need something on the table before you sign, sign the dotted line. He said, you can't just go and then sign and then nothing comes from it. Mm. So I rang Mark back and I was like, Mark, I really want to go with you, but, but what can you bring? So he rang me two days later and said, if you turn pro tomorrow, we can bring you Adidas and TaylorMade now. And two of the biggest global brands in the sport. And he said, we can work from there. I said, that's good enough for me. When are we doing it? <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, it wasn't it wasn't as quick as that. We were probably talking for about two three months of trying to get logistics and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> so I contacted the GOI and handed in my my notice as an amateur, as you would say, and and turned pro on the day and started working with Adidas and TaylorMade and then won quite a few events. And ISPS Handy came on board. They worked through Power of Sport and with a lot of disability golfers and, and main tour golfers. <clears throat> and then last year I signed with Horizon. 
who mm. do the Horizon Irish Open. So the deals are getting bigger. Mm. And I never thought it would get this big. And to be honest, I don't regret turning pro for, for one day in my life. It's been incredible. Yeah. I've seen that, lad. No, you're in, sure. Uh, with Modest now, we had, there's obviously the, the likes of <coughs> Tyrrell and, and Leona and Jason, even Simon's playing Savage Golf lately. Um, yeah. But uh, we've we've won. Joe Joe, who does the podcast, isn't isn't with us today. But he uh, he caddied for you and Ferguson. Yeah, uh, legend. Oh yeah, back in the back in the what the US amateur back in the day, con. Yeah, in Chicago. What's it, like, what's it like being? Is there kind of much? Uh, would you lads meet up? Would there be kind of corporate events that you'd all do together? Is there? Well, I'm very lucky side? because my my job revolves around corporate. Like I do mm-hmm. a lot of public speaking, where their guy's job is making money on the course, which is unbelievable. Mm. And I need to play my golf. I need to win events. I need to do that. But to build my profile, it's more so off the course. So if you're winning events, that puts you in a position to do more corporate work. So the guys are brilliant. Like I get to go to all the, our events are on Monday and Tuesday. So I play Monday and Tuesday and then work for the rest of the week doing my ISP as handed talks or going on the drink with, with sponsors and all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> I get a lovely balance between both, which I focus for weeks on end about the golf. But when the golf's over, I can focus on the other side as well, which is a perfect balance for me. And um, what is the sh- what is the schedule actually like then? Like how many? Because I know you were in. I saw you were in Wentworth last week playing, yeah. as you said, for the Monday and Tuesday of of that. Like what over the course of the year? What does your kind of schedule look like? Yeah, so we have 12 events on the G4D Tour. So the G4D Tour is only a thing the last two years. So it's basically, I strive for our own disability tour. We were having pop-up events here and there. But I wanted to I wanted to have its own identity. I didn't want to just be a second thought of, right, we'll have these guys here this week. We'll All that sort of stuff. So we had many chats with Keith Pelly on how to promote the game and how to make it a common name in the sport, not just, not like a sideshow, but an afterthought. Because sometimes it can turn out like that. And mm. I hired to chat with Keith. I said, how can we have a tour that's beneficial to you guys and us, that we can keep our sponsors, get enough uh, TV time to make guys a living through the game? And he said, well, let's work on that. And it's still a working process. Like the Monday and Tuesday thing isn't ideal because we don't, no one really can see what we do. So we're trying to get that back to weekends and trying to get more players into it. And But we're definitely going the right way about it. And is it something that you could take to America as well? Like, obviously, it's great to have the involvement with the DP World Tour and Keith Pelly and, and all that. But obviously, PGA Tour is, is kind of the, the, the bigger brother. Would that be an yeah. option down the road? Yeah, there's been talks to have a few events on the PGA Tour. To be honest, our a lot of our stuff works through ISPS Handa. So they kind of promote, pump money into the tour that we can get opportunities from it. Where PGA Tour have so much money, they don't need their mm. cash to put on our events. Yeah. Which is tough because they're a monopoly and they're doing well without without our events. But with this conjunction with DP World Tour and PGA, I think there's going to be more opportunities in America now, which would be fantastic. Is there any Americans on the on your tour now, Renan? Or are they? Is there some equivalent over there now, or what? Um, would they have to come to Europe then to get involved in the 
the G4D. Yeah, G4D is the biggest tour for disability yeah. at the minute. So a lot of Americans, about four or five Americans, drift in and out of the rankings. Cool. So yeah. a lot of these guys get opportunities as well. And we need them guys to work on their end to nudge the tour to the PGA to try and get events on their side as well. So we need everyone working. And what's the route to to get onto the tour? So, like, obviously you were good. What, what was your handicap when you were uh, an amateur? Uh, scratch. Yeah, scratch was, was what you got to. Yeah. What What is the route for someone uh, with a disability? Like, what kind of level do you have to be at? And, and what does all that look like? So, basically, there's so many categories for disability golf. You have your, obviously, your G40 is the elite side. But you have your net, your Stapleford, your wheelchair categories for your mental side of the game. So these they put on these events so these guys can travel and make friends and and just grow the community, which is fantastic as well. There's so many different avenues where you go down. But the, the better players on the G4D tour, they strive for making a living for themselves, trying to change other people's lives. And that's what we're going for here. But that's what I love about Edgar. They run about 40 events a year throughout the whole world that people can play in to get their rankings up to maybe get into the G4D events. So that's the avenue they can go through. Amazing. It's great. And even from, um, from say, uh, the events now that are on the kind of uh, the, the Monday, Tuesdays, obviously they're probably on the like Calgorm or something like that. Like it's it's a it's on beforehand before the big event. It's tournament. Yeah. Conditions. There's the, I guess the 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 infrastructure set up there for tournament golf. Has there ever been any uh, kind of Tuesday nights where you finished the golf, gone in for a drink, and then met some of the <clears throat> met some of the players that are coming in? Is there any good stories from mixing with the pros on those weeks where the events are the same spot? There's too many stories. <laughs> um, I get on I get on very well with a lot of the guys on tour. Like I get on very well with Tyrrell Hatton, um, Shane Lowry. Well, hold on, let me pull you up on Tyrrell Hatton. Like, I mean, from from the spectators' perspective, I mean, Tyrrell Hatton has he gets we'll a bad say, rap, lads. Yeah, yeah. What what's he actually like? I was I went with him a few weeks ago. My manager got married in in France, and we went, and we had great crack. He's just he's he's level headed off the course. He's just he's good crack. He's calm. Obviously, on the course, it's a little bit different. <clears throat> he's emotional. He shows a lot of emotion. But I'm not. I'm not saying everything he does is is right or is is acceptable. But of course, yeah. It's he's a fiery player. So sometimes players like that need their own way to get them going. Now he shows it a wee bit too much sometimes, and I agree. <clears throat> but he's just fiery. And I think he's. I think he's brilliant. I don't know what you're saying, Con. I think it's good. I I love. I love watching him. Oh, I think you need you need characters in the game yeah. because I think like golf has turned into too many robots. Like yeah, your high guards, your Abergs, fantastic golfers. But where's the crack? Yeah, like, where's the crack. Oh, right. Speaking our like, language now. Yeah, I know. Like you need. <laughs> I think you need a balance. Yes, you need a focus. Obviously, they work so hard. But I think. Guys on tour need a balance. Like I was chatting to Andy Sullivan and Paul Waring, and we had a lovely, we had, we had a very interesting chat of the approach some people take to golf. Like the likes of Aaron Rye would would travel a lot on his own, 
he'd mm. stay in the hotel room, play an Xbox, and he'd yeah. do the gym stuff. Just like Andy Sullivan and Paul, they might go for a pint or two after a round, and that's how they play their game. And if they took, say, Aberg's approach or Aaron Rye's approach, they wouldn't be on tour. So it's it's different things that work for you. And I think you need to find that fit because it's a lonely game as well. You're away from your family. You're traveling 27 and it's not going well 30 weeks a year, which is a hard gig. So you need to have a bit of fun when you're doing it. Yeah, I think. hundred percent. Now you're, you're, you're bang on and as good. We've been chatting a lot about Ludwig Eberg over the last little while and he is unbelievable, but, but you're, you're right. Like there is, there, um, so many of these guys that come out of college, they're incredible talents and they're professionals when they're still amateurs, you know, and and all that sort of stuff, which is great, but it's, it's nice to hear that there is still an element of these guys on tour that are that are having having a bit of crack. And I can imagine on the European tour, there's a lot more of that than there there sounds like there is on the on the PGA tour. Yeah, and I think we don't know the half of it either. Like a lot of the guys probably enjoy their drinks in the evening or well, you heard Phil Mixon getting the blackjack table up to the room. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. So I'd say a lot of them have enjoy themselves and yeah it's just it's whatever fits for you it's, it is tough definitely and tell me this we're we're chatting about modest golf there um working with niall horan what yeah. what's that like i'd say it's pretty cool yeah niall's a gent he um he supported me from day one to be honest i probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them guys and what what i love mostly about modest is how inclusive they are like that they, they don't treat Tyrrell Hatton any differently than they treat me like to, to book my flights, to get me sponsorships. Um, like this, I'm going to the Ryder Cup next week and they set that up. So if I didn't have that, like Niall just has to make a phone call and he can get me into places, which is an incredible friend to have. Yeah. And that's what I respect about the guys. I'm with them now, I think three, nearly four years and they've never treated me differently from day one. And they've made a living through the game for me and, like it works both ways. I have to do my work on the course and work off the course, but they've given me a platform and an opportunity to to provide that, which is great. Yeah, he did. Uh, he obviously did the Guinness uh, ad with Lewis Capaldi, but he did one there recently. I can't remember what it was. Just pouring a point of Guinness in front of English people, and he he just seems like the most normal Irish person yeah. in the world. It's actually a bit weird. <laughs> no, he um he's a gent, and wherever you go, like he sometimes forgets how famous he is. Mm. And that's that's a nice trait that he has. Like, I meet him in London the odd time, and we go out for a drink. And obviously, his security. Sorry, I got a phone call there, but I didn't answer. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, yeah, we as, long as, as long as it wasn't Niall Horns, fine. No, it wasn't. It was my mother. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Far more important. Yeah, um, but sorry, sorry, no, you, you you were saying that Niall Horn he doesn't even realise how famous he is. Yeah, like I was saying there, like we go to London and stuff, and he'd have a security there. But he's just he like he wants to go out for a coffee some days on his own, and he can't do that. Yeah. And as as sad as it is, like obviously, if you're a professional athlete or you're a singer, you strive to be the best you can be. But it comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of sacrifices. And he was telling me in his One Direction days, the hardest thing he found was he was in the hotel room all the time and he's seen custom coffee around the corner and he couldn't go get it himself. Like, mm. it is it is hard. Mm. But as a 
as a friend and, and what he does for me, he's he's so supportive. He's incredible. He shares everything I do and if it's my birthday he'll give me a ring and I went to a show on Electric Picnic, he got me backstage passes for that. So there's there's great perks being around him as well. So it's incredible. And uh would you would you ever play him for a tenor now, uh on the golf course? Oh, he has a decent swing, like he has a decent I play him for ten grand. It'd be the easiest ten grand to go in. Um and and tell me this now, so Last year, I remember, I, I can't exactly remember when it was, but a lot of uh, negative stuff came up on social media. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing that and, and just, like, obviously it was it was discussed, but it was also nice to see how positive the reaction was after afterwards. Give, it, give us your take on all that. Haters are my motivators, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Come here. Um, that was incredible. It was. Um, I played Japan. I got a tour start in Japan last year, and a video went viral of me hitting a shot, hit the pin, and spun back. And I'm not a comment reader. Never. I was never into reading comments. But my one of my family members pointed out, "Did you see the negativity on that?" And I was. I was like, "No, I actually didn't." So then I went on. Probably shouldn't have, but went on Reddit. And um, my, my brother, I was chatting to him. He said, would you ever, would you do something to highlight that? He said, you're in a good position. He said, you're at the forefront of changing lives, making disability golf a household name. Do you reckon you should um, just highlight it and, and do it into something? So I rang Mark, my manager. I was like, Mark, I think I want to highlight. I want to highlight that. Can you do me up an image and I can say a few words after and we'll go from there. And to be honest, these comments never annoyed me. I said I grew up my whole life going going into town, people looking yeah. at me and kids saying, Oh, look at the small guy. And I, I don't care. That's me. Like I was offered limb lengthening when I was young. I didn't want to take it. And me, I can't change anything. It might give me an extra two inches, but two inches is big in some places, but it's not in height. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was like, I'm not uh, I d I didn't want to get that done and I was always comfortable in my own skin. So he's like, yeah, let's do something. Let's do it. So we done the video. It, it blew up. I, I couldn't believe the reception it got. And yeah. I, I didn't do it for a publicity stunt. I did it for people to be aware of what to say online. And I did it for other disability golfers. They're going to be getting a lot more traction, a lot more limelight. And basically it was a coping mechanism for them to deal with it when it happens. Because I know I, I, I'm starting to do TikTok stuff. I'm going to get more negativity. It's, it's in the world. But you need to focus on the positive stuff. There's no point focusing on the negative. But I just thought, like, there's a lot of disability people struggling with mental health and struggling to find a place for them in the world. And I thought if I can highlight this in any sort of way, I just I, I didn't think it would hit home so well. And it hit some some crazy people. And I got some... Unbelievable messages like Justin Thomas text me, Bryson DeChambeau, um, Greg Norman, some some world leaders of golf, mm. and um, it, it hit home really well. Like yeah. even from that, I guess we're we're kind of um, we obviously know you, and, and I guess through the through the Irish media, um, would would constantly see your progress, and even from your personal stuff. But um, as far as what you're doing for, I guess. <clears throat> one step the European 
um, side of things. But on a, on a global stage, like when you go out with the handers, say, to Japan, like I'd say the amount of people kind of watching you in maybe a similar situation or um, kind of thinking about golf and seeing this lad playing up there with the best in the world, able to compete at a very, very high level. I'd say it's, it's massively inspirational for them. And it's probably only the start of this kind of um, uh, journey because between um, the, the US markets and wherever else in the world this could spread to, like it, it, it should be turning into a proper tour down the line. And as you said, I know you're trying to distance from the, from the Monday, Tuesdays, but like uh, the, it's only been what, going for three years. Yeah, well, the G4's like. Yeah, it's mental, and people know about G4D now, and the more people that know it will help our case, whether it's getting people into it or getting better opportunities around it. And we we can just keep doing what we're doing. Like, it's it's all in stepping stones. You can't reach the PGA Tour in, in two years. You can't get to DP World Tour money in one year. It's just, it's all just a learning process as well, and how different things will work and what doesn't work and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same as like us trying to do this podcast and stuff. We've been doing it for about a year and it's great and you're learning stuff along the way, but um, you know, it's all stepping stones and, and, 100%. and learning and all that sort of stuff. Um, and tell me this, you've been doing a bit of commentary with Sky Sports. What's yeah. that like? I love the commentary. I've done a few gigs. I've done the JP McManus Pro-Am last year. And then I do a lot of the Irish ones. I did, did a few in England as well. I love it. The guys are great crack. I was working with Andrew Coltart and Laura Davies last week with Sky. And it's fantastic. Like, I love I love golf. I have a knowledge about it. And I think Sky are very good to bring me on because I'm so young. Everyone's doing have so much more experience. Like your Paul McGinley's, your Dom Hollier. They're all like 50, 60 years old. So... To bring me in and have that sort of freshness come in, I'm very, very lucky. And you know when people think, oh, we'll be inclusive, bring a disability person in. It's not because of that. It's because I have a knowledge and I can well, talk about the game. Like, genuine, I'm not just saying it. Like, you you, you uh, slot right in in that type of scenario. Yeah, no, I do enjoy that. And that's like that's another revenue stream I can go down as well, which is which is a really good thing. And No, I love it. I'm trying to tie in a few more events for next year. So hopefully you'll be hearing me a wee bit more. A hundred percent. And will the will the golf um itself is it is it a possibility that it could um you could make money from the on course stuff or is it always going to be the off course? I think we're very close to getting something done on course because the the fear we have is losing the best players to to um What's the word I'm looking for? Not boredom, but lack of motivation. Because if you're mm. playing your monthly medal, whatever it is, you're playing for a prize. You're playing to try and win something. And I think that's what we're struggling a wee bit at the minute, that we're playing on the Monday and Tuesday. If you win the event, yes, you're getting a trophy and it's great. But you want to check. You want to get yeah. something at the end of the week to see your fruits of your labour. And be like, right, I worked hard this week. And then they can invest that money into their golf game, which would be a better thing. Because a lot of these guys don't have money. They're traveling week in, week out. The tour are very good to pay for flights, accommodation, and expenses. Okay. They have to take a week off work. Yeah. The family to feed. You don't want the woman at home saying, here, what the fuck are you doing going away again? Not making any <laughs> yeah. money. You know what I mean? Holidays, are you? 
it's just oh, we, were, we were chatting to Stuart Grehan there on the challenge tour recently and just the economics behind professional golf below the fucking DP World Tour it's a tough it, gig it's wrong yeah. them guys they're slogging it yeah. and you're coming top five every week and you're making you're just making enough to cover your week yeah really yeah it's very yeah. very tough and mm. I think the money needs to drip down a wee bit more from DP World like I think is it 30 grand for a win on the challenge? Thir- yeah, 30. I think it could even be 27, something. That yeah. needs to be bumped up. Weeks, but, like, yeah. But it's like, what's wrong is if you win an event in Challenge Tour, you're, you're number one. There's just such, like, if you're coming 15th every week or 20th, it's no good. Yeah. You're better off coming second twice and last twice. Mm. It's, Shane Lowry talks about that a lot. And I think his career has been a perfect example of how it's so much more rewarding and lucrative in golf to have big performances. And then like, it's okay if you're, if you're, um, if your floor is terrible, as long as your ceiling is really good. Yeah. And he's a big time player. He wins the biggest events. Definitely. I agree. I agree with that. But the PGA tour is different because the money funnel down is, is mad. Like if you're making the cut, you're still making like 20, 30 grand for your week. Yeah. Yeah, on the it's, PGA Tour, like top tens on the PGA Tour are massive. I just think the other tours are just a wee bit tough. Yeah. Um. Well, look, Brendan, very conscious of of your time. You've been so good here with us. Thank you so much. But you're you're heading off to Rome now uh, in the next couple of days. We, in what capacity are you going? Is it is it pure enjoyment taking the golf, or do you have any um, professional got, capacity? I have a few commitments, so I am doing. I'm going with Tourism Ireland, so I'm promoting golf in Ireland, which is great. And then I'm doing. I'll probably be a surprise guest in Sky one or two days, which would be nice. Oh, so, so that I'll is the be, plan. That's I'll the plan. Be, uh, I'll be. I'll be working on the on the fifth hole as a marshal. So we, are, are you I'll going? Yeah, yeah. So ah, I'll, nice. I'll, see you, I'll see you over there for a pint. Yeah, hundred percent. Give me a shot and we go for a pint. 100% lad will do. Yeah, no, it's going to be a good uh, it's going to be a good week. I think uh we we've been chatting a lot about it um over the last kind of whatever 6 months looking ahead and it's always been US US US. It's fucking close now. What what do you I take? Think, I think we've a really good chance. I I don't we're not going to get hammered. Mm. I think we can win, but I still think America are favorite. Mm. So that's my view on it. I I like it. Is yeah. Ludwig Neighbor going to go 5 and 0, oh, is he? I don't know. He, like he's a big stage player. He's been in America a long time with the collegiate system and stuff. So I think the pressure hit him a wee bit last week in the BMW. It did, and, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that wasn't a great thing to see. But then there could have been a big dump from getting his pick and a big adrenaline dump. But I don't know. But yeah. I think I think Europe is a great chance. Everyone's in form. I would have had I would have had Morant there instead of Nicholas Highgard or. Is it mm. Nikolai Huygens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that would be the only change you make. Every other yeah. pick is pretty solid. We were discussing that ourselves and like completely fair um, to, to say Morong, but it's a flip of a coin. I mean, they've both won on the golf course that it's on. Um, Huygard possibly just had slightly better form the last little while, but yeah. Morong won that event that you were in uh, last year for in, in Australia. In Australia. He was unbelievable. And the Irish Open, yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought his interview was very professional when he came, when he got the word. Yeah, very very classy, and he's a nice guy because it's not yeah. easy. He had to go to the Irish Open, Wentworth, 
people in your ear. Oh, sorry, this it's, it was constant for him. Oh, say so, and he yeah. performed well for the last. He did well the last two weeks with all the he did the storm he had to take. So no, I'm happy for him. He'll come back stronger. He will. Um. Well, look, Brendan, you're genuinely an inspiration to so many people. You're what you've done has been just so cool to see from the outside looking in thinking of of your whole journey everything that you've done as i said just really really cool you uh you deserve every bit of success that's come your way so far and i think it's only going to get better for you uh unbelievable thanks a million for coming on this morning man really appreciate it i really enjoyed that thanks very much for having me on i'll try replying the next three years again (laughs) (laughs) no worries man no worries Enjoy your I'll see you at the Ryder Cup. 100%. Cheers, Brandon. Bye bye. Thank you.